Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today on the show, we got Nick Stein. He is the CMO at Top Hat. This is a cool conversation, really about tying everything together when we look at storytelling, how that affects and supports your sales organization, and how you can build content, which actually will help you with demand gen. We touch on all that. And then Nick really, you know, he expands on what Top Hat is doing, some of the challenges they face and how they had to really pivot with their offering and their messaging when COVID hit. So I I love this conversation. It was uh, real interesting. And I think you guys will enjoy it too. But before we get into that, as always, we put on this show, we're Cave Social. We're a marketing agency here in LA that really puts your brand on offense. And what that means is we help your company grow. So if you're feeling stuck, you need some help, you're not hitting those metrics that you need, or you're just looking for a fresh set of eyes on your social media, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us. We'd love to help you out. All right, without further ado, let's get into this episode. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, joining me from Toronto, Ontario, is the CMO at Top Hat, Nick Stein. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you, Jordan? I'm good. I, I can't complain. It's a good day. I'm happy. We got an interesting conversation lined up, really talking about Top Hat, what you all are doing and how you're pivoted. But before we get to that, I want to hear your story. How did you find your way into the CMO chair? Walk us through that journey a little bit. Sure. Well, I'll start by saying I started my professional journey not in marketing, but in journalism. So I moved from my hometown of Toronto to New York. I got my master's uh, in journalism at Columbia, and I went to work uh, eventually at Fortune magazine. And this was the, the early 2000s, so it was kind of that last fine time for traditional media. There was incredible talent and intelligence and resources and some of some of the greatest journalists, reporters, storytellers in the world were my mentors and my colleagues. And I, I kind of got my education in business rather than doing an MBA, but traveling around the world, learning about companies and industries by breaking them down from the outside in. Uh, writing about some of the biggest companies in the world, spending time with Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and other other business luminaries. And when the global financial crisis hit in 2008, it really spelled the end of traditional media at the time as we knew it. But at the same time, there was this really new, exciting discipline of marketing around content marketing and thought leadership that, that was becoming ascendant, this idea that you could attract customers to your business and your brand through a smart SEO-driven thought leadership and content strategy. And so I had the opportunity to start my marketing career joining a startup called Ripple that was, was founded in Toronto and was really transforming how companies thought about performance management and driving the performance of their teams. And we had some amazing early customers in Facebook, LinkedIn, Spotify, and HubSpot. And interestingly, the the CEO of HubSpot had told my then boss, if you want to build a content marketing engine, 
hire a great reporter. So I kind of owe my first job to him. And so what we realized was we were a small startup at that time. We were competing with giant companies like SAP. And we realized we could use really smart content and media relations to appear much bigger than we were. You know, the world was changing. Everyone was fascinated by like what's happening inside of the the Facebooks of the world. What were they doing differently with their employees, with their teams? And if we were part of that change, they wanted to know more about it. And so we actually came to the attention of Mark Benioff, the founder and CEO of Salesforce. He acquired Ripple. We rebranded as work.com. And then I had this amazing learning opportunity to really learn about how Salesforce, which probably the, if not the, certainly one of the preeminent B2B uh, marketing organizations in the world, how they approach product marketing, events, PR, and things like that. And so I also learned during my time there how to effectively support a sales-led go-to-market, working with the BDR teams, supporting enterprise reps. Uh, Ripple had been kind of a a freemium product-led growth go-to-market, and so really learned a lot during my time at Salesforce. At the same time, they were pretty new to content marketing, and so they kind of invited me in and allowed me to play a leadership role in helping them develop their, their content marketing and thought leadership strategy as a business. And I had a ton of fun, even at one point, uh, running a webinar, hosting Tony Robbins with about 20,000 people on, which was pretty crazy. After two years of living part-time in hotels in San Francisco, I had two young kids. I was ready to come home to to Toronto. I joined an enterprise SaaS software company called Vision Critical, uh, they had a lot of really large enterprise customers. Um, their their platform allowed them to get real-time feedback by surveying uh, communities of their, their customers. And we really helped them scale their marketing team up to 30-ish people and turn it into an engine to drive inbound demand uh, for the business. And that's kind of where I really developed a much deeper understanding and expertise around demand gen, marketing operations, and, and how to really create a demand creation engine for the business. And so this took me to my current role uh, at Top Hat, which I joined about uh, four and a half years ago, because over that entire journey, I had kind of become that what they think of as the T-shaped marketer. I certainly had deep expertise and experience on the storytelling side and content marketing and thought leadership through my, my journalism background, but it also had exposure to all these other areas. And I would say even more importantly, had kind of learned and gotten really excited about building things, building teams, building companies, building businesses. And so when I got to Top Hat at the time, they were at their Series B round as a company. There were maybe 100 employees They were growing really quickly through outbound sales efforts. And the opportunity there was really to build and scale the marketing function. And so we've grown the team from about five to over 30 over the last four years. And the business has grown to about 450 
employees. We just closed our Series E funding round from Georgian a couple months ago. And we're really at that growth stage now of growing to be that, you know, billion dollar plus um, business, which is really exciting. And, and just as exciting, like having a huge impact with our mission to kind of improve the teaching and learning experience in, in higher ed. Interesting. Yeah, it's cool to hear your story and really see Okay, there's the foundation in storytelling, journalism. Then you get in and start to think about, okay, content marketing. What does this engine look like? And not only from a content creation and doing this, and but how does that support the sales team? And ultimately, then how does that lead to demand gen? Because all of these pieces, I think, are so important when we put together content marketing plans, right? To think, okay, not only... Do I need to tell a great story? But does this story align with my company mission? And two, is there like where in the funnel does it fit? Right? Because I always say like contextualized content is what you need. If I go write the greatest post and record a video on the history of the chimpanzee, okay, that could be amazing, but I'm not selling, I'm not a nature channel, right? Like it's so out of context. And I know that's an extreme version, but a lot of times I see companies taking and going creating content that really, I think, falls out of the context of what their company is trying to achieve. And I'm like, ah, that's a great piece of content, but it's not contextualized. And it's interesting to hear your story where you're able to go and like learn from great people, put your spice on it when it comes to like what you've learned with storytelling, and then help companies grow and really tie that back to business goals. I think that's super important. What leads me kind of to the next question and what I want to talk about is, okay, you get in a top hat, series B, things are moving fast. We got to grow. Let's break things. Let's let's get things out there. Team's growing. Talk to me about some of those first priorities when you got in and particularly around scaling your team. You know, As each round of funding comes in, it's like, okay, we're going to add more people. How have you approached really scaling You know, your marketing team from... How many people did you have on your team when you started? So it was around five people when I started, and it was a pretty junior group as well. Okay, cool. So, so you're there, you come in, there's five people, real green. Walk me through kind of your thought process or maybe things you had learned where you said, okay, I'm going to apply this that helped you really scale out the top hat marketing team. It's a great question. So my personal belief is you always want to surround yourself with people who are better, smarter, more capable than you are. Uh, and I think the, the job of, of me as the CMO is to kind of have that view of the whole puzzle and look at, be, be able to understand where are the gaps, which puzzle pieces are missing, but then you want to find those people who really complement you and your expertise and your experience to be able to fit the pieces in the puzzle. Um, and I think Top Hat, like I had had a ton of experience marketing to the enterprise, whether it was salespeople, HR folks, marketers, product people. But when you get into our, our current uh, industry, it's a vertical company focused on higher education. And so now we are go to market is really, really different because we have three different audiences that we're speaking to. We've got the professor, the educator, who's kind of making the buying decision. But then we have two very influential groups on either side, the institution itself, who has different goals and is sometimes adversarial with the faculty. And then the student who 
in some ways as a captive audience, like you probably remember when you would go to your first day of class, you'd get your syllabus, there would be a list of books that you had to buy, whether you liked it or not, you could choose not to buy them. But it's not like you had any alternative. And it's similar in the sense with Top Hat, where the professor is making the decision to use Top Hat with their course. And then they're assigning it to their students, in most cases, to go and buy. So I realized that like, really needed deep industry expertise. And so we started off by building a product marketing function. And I brought in a really strong product marketing leader who came from that industry and knew really well and knew what we needed and how to position ourselves and how to tell the story. And then from there, kind of built out our demand gen function as well, really with a focus on organic, because in my view, paid kind of the minute you turn it off, that demand goes away. Whereas organic is something that allows you to build brand and credibility and thought leadership and demand all simultaneously. And it just builds and grows over time. And so we've kind of built a really strong organic engine to help drive our growth. And then more recently, really, as we've scaled as a company, being able to grow the brand and comms side of the house as well in a more significant way. Because at a certain point, I think that brand actually starts to unlock value and reduce some of the friction in your demand curve, where when you're smaller, in some ways, making those investments isn't quite as essential. You know, you said a couple of things, and I, I think one thing that's really important for any leaders listening to this or people who are aspiring to be leaders is, and is to get your ego out of the way. You said it in a different way where you said, bring people in who are smarter than you. Or also when you got into the position, instead of saying, oh, I, I can handle this, you know, it's just like enterprise. And I, I, I'll just take formula A that I used over here and apply it and be good to have that self-awareness to say, oh, we need to get an industry expert and someone who understands this, like the back of their hand to come in and help us with that positioning, which I think speaks to really removing ego, which is what, if you read any book on leadership, it's probably going to be the first chapter uh, <laughs> where it says that's just you know so important to empower those around you. So I think that is really cool to hear. You said something else too that I want to touch on for anybody listening, and that is understanding the balance between your paid acquisition and organic acquisition and demand where, look, paid eat what you kill requires you to get up and go hunt every day. That means you have to spend, and if Google, if the CPMs rock it up and you're already operating on thin margins, if you bank your business on paid acquisition, you could run into some trouble. Now, I do think it could be part of a good strategy along with organic where it's really hard to build that organic engine, but it's so defensible and over time can really become this consistent generator of, of leads and ultimately sales. So yeah, I loved both of those points. I think it's an interesting thing to, to dive into. Now, moving on and walking, you know, you're at Top Hat, you're there, you've been there for a couple of years. Okay, the product is education focused and then COVID hits. We were talking before off air and you said a large part of the product before was for in-class learning and to get engagement up of students when they're in class. Talk to me about that pivot in messaging? And if you think that going to go back to kind of the old model or is now e-learning really going to be like a staple of the product? Like where does that all, or how did that unfold and where do you see it going? 
Sure. So I think I'll, I'll start just by telling you a little bit about what we do at Top Hat, which I think will provide good context for the shift that we've made over the last year. So we're very much a mission-driven education technology company. And we are, in some ways, driving three fundamental disruptions in the way that teaching and learning happen in higher ed. So if you think about a typical course, there's really three main components to a course. There's the lecture or the in-class component, whether that happens live or, or remote or online. Then you have the course materials themselves, like the textbook or the readings. And then you have the assessments, which is the way for both the professor and the student to kind of understand how well they're learning and comprehending these concepts. And so our belief has always been that like it's the educator who has the biggest opportunity to, to drive the biggest impact. And so we've really focused on building the tools, the content, the insights to empower them so that they can then go and engage their students and unleash their potential. And I think that's actually our mission at TopAt to empower professors or educators to engage students and unleash their potential. And so we built this digital platform that combines into one the interactive textbooks, lecture slides, quizzes, assignments, everything else, which then supports the student whether they're before the class, during the class, and then after the class with things like performance insights where you would actually know whether your student had done the reading, whether they'd understood it. If your whole class had understood it, do you need to actually take some time to reinforce certain concepts? Do you need to reach out and intervene and so, like, in my mind, it, it was less about the environment. Like, is that happening live? Is it happening in person? Is it happening online? And much more about our core value prop around engagement. Because in some ways, engagement became even more challenging when you're suddenly now trying to engage people remotely with even more distractions going on than, than they had previously. And so what happened to us was we actually, the first week of March, we were running our, our annual user conference in New Orleans. It's called Engage. I still can't believe that a bunch of us were out on Bourbon Street until four o'clock in the morning, the week before lockdown wow. happened. And none of us got, uh, got COVID, thankfully. But, but we kind of realized the minute we got back and we went into lockdown, that we had to pretty fundamentally change the way we thought about our, our value proposition. And so about 80% of our customers were using Top Hat in a live in-person setting. And now suddenly they were being forced to go remote and figure out how to adapt their courses to a remote environment. And so what we did first was we said, you know what, it's, it's mid-March the semester is ending in a couple months. We're just going to give Top Hat away free for the rest of the semester to anyone who wants it, just because we feel like it's the right thing to do. At the same time, we kicked our product and engineering teams into high gear, building a whole virtual classroom set of capabilities so that we could equip our educators to be able to really engage their students more effectively in a remote setting, which again, we could do it somewhat.
prior to the pandemic, but it wasn't really our primary use case at that time. And so marketing often having to go out and actually tell and sell the story before the product even exists. We did something like four or five different product launches between April and August when everything had to be ready to go so that when the new school semester started in the fall, our customers would be ready to go out and and support their, their students in this very new environment. Awesome to hear. Like, you know, I love those stories of like, all right, Let's, it's time to get to work, right? It's time to put the foot on the gas and figure out how we can have a solution to really continue to be an ally to our customers in this new world. And as the market changes, and obviously the market changed dramatically over the course of, well, overnight seemingly, but, uh, you know, we've been in this for about a year now and you're seeing that the shifts. So it's very, very interesting. Now, looking forward, do you see, you know, before you said it was about 80%. It was for in-class experience and now 20. And obviously, that's probably flipped. Um, but moving forward, if we had to, we had the crystal ball, where do you see the product going from a focus standpoint in regards to really how does how much does e-learning and that, it, for lack of a better term, if there's an industry term, I don't know. <laughs> uh, feel free to let me know. But where do you see that going moving forward? For sure. I mean, the terms we think about in, in higher education, there's there's remote learning, which in most cases is just you're attending something live, but you're not physically there versus online learning, which if you think about it as more asynchronous, so it's you're doing it on your own at your own pace. And it's kind of a pre-recorded thing, for lack of a better term. And I think the future will be finding the most effective way to deliver those outcomes to students. And in some cases, it may mean you're doing it asynchronously online. In other cases, you're never going to be able to replicate that level of effectiveness unless you do it in person. What we're hearing and seeing from students and faculty is that a lot of them are really eager and excited to get back on campus. I think the, the more interesting question, though, is that This has been a huge wake-up call for the entire industry because what's been happening in higher education is that they've really lagged way behind other industries when it comes to bringing easy-to-use technology to, to support their faculty, both in terms of creating engaging content for students and also learning experiences. Like It used to be that they had... All of the learning was locked away in books in a library, and so you would go to university because you couldn't access that information otherwise. Now you can go on YouTube and access a lot of that information instantaneously. So where does the value come from? And so we've been talking about this idea of a new value equation in higher education where suddenly a lot of students are growing increasingly resentful about paying hundreds of dollars for an outdated textbook or listening to a professor lecture at them instead of really engaging them in a meaningful conversation and having them question, do I, what is the value of getting a university degree? Is it the same as it was 10 or 20 years ago? And what the pandemic has changed is is accelerated questions around that because now you don't have the fancy campus with the beautiful greens and the beautiful 
facilities and the sports stadiums and the fraternities and all of the things that universities use to kind of sell the dream, what you have left is the teaching and learning experience itself and the quality of the instruction that's happening. And so now it's really shone a spotlight on that challenge. And it's done it at a time when like college or or university in many ways is more important than ever because the knowledge economy is making all these industries and jobs obsolete. So in some ways, like figuring out how to educate the next generation to be able to go out and effectively be the happy, healthy, meaningful, contributing members of society has never been more important, but they need to kind of reevaluate what that equation looks like, where they put their investments. And we're kind of right in the middle of that, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens when we look at higher education as a whole moving forward. Nick, thanks for coming on today. This was insightful. I love hearing these stories uh, and uh, I appreciate your wisdom. Before I let you go, let people know where they can learn more about Top Hat and connect with you online. Absolutely. So you're you're welcome to follow me on Twitter at Stein underscore Nick or, or on LinkedIn. Always happy to meet smart marketers or other folks and have, I guess, these days a, a virtual coffee and, and Top Hat is just a Top Hat dog. Amazing. Everybody uh, go head over, especially if you're in the higher ed space. I know we have a few listeners and a few past guests that are in the space. Go check that out. And if you just uh, want to be a marketing leader, you want to learn from Nick, connect with them, head over to Twitter, connect with Nick. And I'll put links to both of those in the show notes page. Nick, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time. Um,